0: Make a change for yourself, tell others about your change, and hopefully the message will spread.
1: Happy Friday, Food Junkies listeners. Okay, Vera and Clarissa were able to sit down with Dr. Tro Kalagian of the Low Carb MD podcast and so much more. And today they talk about his personal story, addiction, eating disorder, obesity. They talk about his professional journey, how he separates Dogma from personal needs and addiction recovery. He talks about his program, the results of his program, how effective the program has been. Using the word addiction in the program and screening immediately. They talk about empowering patients. GLP medications like Ozempic and Vigovi and Monjero. They talk about the Low Carb MD podcast, some of Bro's passion projects, the future of bariatric medicine, and of course our signature question. Welcome, Dr. Kalagian.
2: Welcome to the Food Junkies podcast. I am your co-host today, along with Clarissa Kennedy. Today, we are speaking with Dr. Tro Kalagian, co-host of the well-known low-carb MD podcast. He is an obesity physician who gets food addiction. Indeed, it is his mission to address it before all other treatments using his low-carb approach. Dr. Tro is a board-certified internal medicine and obesity physician with a focus on food addiction, diabetes, hypertension, and lipid management. His enlightened approach stems from the fact that he had his own issues with weight and eventually lost 150 pounds. Using his success as a guide, he decided to ditch the traditional model of obesity medicine and created the Dr. Tro's Medical Weight Loss Clinic, where he offers instead an integrative approach that includes health coaching, biometric remote monitoring, a self-guided weight loss curriculum, and an interactive online social support system through his Dr. Tro app. And we at Food Junkies are particularly interested in how these tools and his perspective have especially helped his patients that have food addiction. So welcome, Dr. Tro.
3: Yeah, thank you to be here. You know, I'm a huge fan. I've told you that so many times. We had you on the podcast, I think, about... Oh, was it a year ago? Maybe two years ago.
2: Yeah, it was great.
3: Yeah, I loved your book. So I'm just happy to be here.
2: Oh, that's wonderful. Thank you. Well, I met you obviously at the Low Carb Podcast, but I met you in person at the Low Carb Boca Conference this this year, just a few months ago. And what I was really struck there was that you were able to integrate and introduce two whole days, like that's a third of that conference to the Low Carb community. So clearly you're committed to the cause of food addiction. So we always like to start with the personal story first. So why don't you tell us if you, as much as you're willing about your story, your own personal story of maybe the 150 pound, uh, pound weight loss. And then essentially, how did you find low carb personally? And then how did you make it happen professionally?
3: Let's, I'll give you the Cliff's notes. You know, struggled with weight my whole life. The elevator um, notes. Yeah, yeah, the, the elevator notes. So the struggle with my weight my entire life, parents were... Both obese brothers. You know, I have brothers are in the 400 pounds category, and myself was going in the same direction. At 13 years old, I remember sitting in my physician's office on my birthday, getting ready for my physical because you get your physical on your birthday as a pediatric in the United States. And I remember sitting there. It seemed like at the time for hours. Probably in retrospect, maybe it was 45 minutes, but it seemed like hours. It might as well have been two hours. And there was a TV there and there were some magazines. And then he puts me on a scale and he looks at me, he looks at the number at 13, I was 210 pounds, which is my weight now. And he looks at me and says, you're just going to be like your family. You need to lose weight. And I remember walking out of there thinking to myself, who the hell is this guy? Like he put me, he could have put a bike or a treadmill in his, in his, you know, waiting room and he's shaming me here. Like, and, and I was so upset. And it was the first time I remember wanting to be a doctor. I remember thinking to myself, whatever this guy did, I could have done better. Right. I could have done better. And, and at the time I didn't understand the concept of food addiction, but I certainly understood I had a problem with food and I didn't understand weight management, but I knew enough to say, this guy's approach of making me a in a waiting room for hours and you know, when there could have been something I could have exercised with because that's what he told me to do, eat less and exercise. Otherwise I'm going to end up like my family. What happened after that was I didn't eat for a month. Oh my God. Okay. So I didn't eat for a month at the age of 13 and it solved my weight issues. I lost weight. And maybe I think for that month, I want to say in that whole period, I was vegan for a year. I lost maybe 50 pounds. I went on to run and you know, certainly orthorexia and maybe some anorexia, poor body image. You know, these things that that trouble youths, particularly you know, in the midst of the obesity epidemic. So that's my primordial lose. Fast forward, you know, I gained all the way back and more I, throughout college, med school, got up to three hundred fifty pounds, and board certified internal medicine, bright in my field, I had 90 percentile on my board exam, and my wife is pregnant with our third kid. And this was actually before we're trying to get pregnant. And she's asks me if I'm going to be alive, you know, yeah. if we have our third kid and she played me, you know, my wife is really smart and she played to my ego, which I certainly have an ego and she played to it. And she said, you know, you're a smart doc. You diagnosed X, Y, and Z and these X, Y, and Z people. And, you know, I found something in her, her family member of hers that other people missed and she, you know, she's like, why can't you just figure out obesity? Right. Why can't you figure out obesity? And then, and that's where the rabbit hole, that's where like the real spark started to now reapproach weight loss. And then, you know, like Dr. Tarman, I just did what any evidence-based doctor would have done. Show me all the interventional trials, show me all the side effects, show me all the benefits, what are the, you know, show me all the data. So I became, I'm like a little manic when it comes to things that I I'm not manic. I'm just, I get hyper-focused on fields that interest me. And that's been my way, you know, throughout my life. And I probably read 2,000 original articles, you know, at least 100 guidebooks that year, right, including a textbook on obesity, probably 300 at this point, you know, and several textbook on obesity. And you go into the medical literature and and it's just, I don't want to say they lied to us. Vera, but, but it's, it's such a crock of shit, <laughs> you know, it's such a crock, I, like every single interventional trial, low carb did better. Yes. And I had never eaten a steak at that point. I didn't, wasn't aware of my issues completely. I was just like, give me the drug that works better head to head. That's where I came to this. And so you go there and it's like, how the hell is every single diet trial, interventional diet trial favoring low carb in some way? I had no skin in the game. i never cooked a steak to that point. never cooked a steak on a grill or whatever. you know we would do we would eat meat, you know certainly as an armenian- you know immigrant family, but you know it was on the barbecue occasionally it was a lot of like you know chickpeas and and pita bread and dried fruit and nuts and plants. I mean I'd never in my life cooked the steak right I mean burgers on occasion, you know but not like I just never cooked a steak. And that's like nine years ago now, you know, that was nine, that was the, that was my primordial ooze. And, and, you know, the further you go down the rabbit hole you understand some of the interests in, in nutrition and medicine, and you, you understand regulatory capture and the sort of, you understand, you know, that the food companies essentially paid money to the American Academy of Family Practitioners and the American College of Sports Medicine You know, Gatorade, Coca-Cola, you understand the, you know, the sort of group think that got us to where we are in our obesity epidemic, which is basically they've watched as it blossomed, you know? So clearly, like, this is not like infections (laughs) where we have treated it, you know, and developed new antibiotics and have sort of mastered it. We, you know, like like let's say a streptococcus, right, or staph, You know, I should say particular infections. So, you know, we haven't mastered it. It's not heart disease where we have stents and sort of a high degree of understanding and you know drugs that may you know in, in acute heart attacks like aspirin that save lives and, and other antiplatelet medications. It's not. We have not even made a dent. obviously. Uh, Almost like psychiatry. There's not a lot that has happened.
2: A lot has happened, but not a lot of results have happened. Not significant.
3: Yeah. Mental health, obesity, metabolic health. These have all blossomed. Depression, sleep disorders. I mean, you just can go on and on and on. So the thing is, is that if you look at the data, it just that's where low carb started. I was like, I just want what's, what works. Yes. You know. So you,
2: and I'm assuming you tried that on yourself first and learned
3: how to cook your first steak. Yeah, exactly. I just started low carb. I just wanted to be alive for my family. That was it. I wanted to be out of pain, out of pre-diabetes. I wanted to feel rested. I just wanted to feel good. Okay. But yeah, you know, the deeper down the rabbit hole you go, the more you understand, the more the data you look at. And then you see, you know, the things that happen next, were, oh, you shouldn't eat low carb, you know, you'll develop an eating disorder. Oh, you shouldn't do it because, you know, it's just the calories. It's not about the carbs, you know. Oh, you know, it's going to affect your performance in the gym. Oh, it's going to increase your cholesterol. And each thing I've published a study on, each thing that has come at me, I published a case series on binge eating and food addiction. I published a case series on, you know, cholesterol. I've published a case series on, you know, sort of glycemia being related to carbohydrate restriction alone. So, you know, this is, I'm trying to battle, I'm trying to make it so that the future doctors like me will be tooled with what I wish I had. That's my story. Pretty boring.
2: Okay. Well, (laughs) well, but just to go back to your personal story that enabled you nine years ago to Eventually, lose 150 pounds, which you have kept off for how long? Nine years?
3: Yeah. So I started really trying to do something. Yeah, this was right out of residency. So that was 2013. Yeah. So, yeah, it's been nine years. Nine I mean, years. I mean yeah.
2: that's, that's significant because so many people, probably people listening, have lost weight, but they just keep gaining it back again. But you know, you're one of the people who maintained that weight loss presumably because you stayed on the low
3: carb plan throughout. Well, let me tell you, my journey has changed. So, so correct, I, you know, I always approached this in a way, you know, it first started with addressing hunger. Okay? Okay? It first then it became addressing my hunger and my cravings. Yes. Yeah. Then it became okay. yeah. addressing hunger, cravings and feelings of deprivation. Huh. Right. That was year three. Then it became hungers, feelings of deprivation, you know, cravings, feelings of deprivation, and social situations. Then it became hunger cravings, feelings of deprivation, social situations, and managing my emotions. Right. So you know, when you say low carb, while that's true, you know, we have the insight to know there's a lot more to it yeah. than so I think I think really, what you're now starting to explain
2: is how you developed your whole program like that in that you realized over the years that you needed one more piece, the social piece, the social support piece, et cetera, et cetera.
3: Yeah, yeah, a hundred percent I mean, and as time has gone on, you know, and you see this probably, you get people who understood my brain's reward system. Yeah. when you understand the reward system for food, you can understand that it it can disobey any paradigm. It can like outmaneuver any diet. So there there's general principles, even within the low carb realm, that I'm very cautious of. Yes, You know, like uh, low carb fruit is a... Is a tr- it's not that I don't think they're healthy. I think low carb fruit is healthy. I think, you know, dairy and cheese is healthy. And I think nuts are healthy. All of these foods I think are healthy, but all of them can make me eat more. Yes. Right. And so I acknowledge that my drive to eat likely cares very little about whatever diet I do. Right. Um,
2: I'm guessing guessing that was in year two or three. Once you got past the hunger and satiated the hunger, there was still a, a different type of hunger. And and how did you then cotton on to okay this has got to do with my reward system and dairy and nuts are not
3: good for that reward system like, how did you get to that place Oh, well, they're very good for the reward system but but, you know what I mean? <laughs> but so i think when you start to observe your eating behavior you see it like what happens when i put cheese on a hamburger patty? do i eat more or less and just asking that question, does it, is it giving me satiety or is it making me eat more? So what effect is this food having on me? And so that happened actually probably in the second year. I did some just self-experiments. I would fast all day, eat plain Greek yogurt. I'd fast all day, eat Greek yogurt with strawberries. i fast all day, eat Greek yogurt with dark chocolate. And I would see how much I would eat in that meal and how, it, how hungry I would be thereafter. Just to sort of understand what are my vulnerabilities you know is it sweetener is it fat is it carbohydrate is it you know what is it and so i think self-experimentation was key and then the you know as you progress in the literature you know i think it's also you know it's all all there you know it's the reward systems are clear it's carbs and fat and it's also based on triggers, you know, so it's, it's just complicated. You know, I know it's, most people are looking for a simple thing. They're going to listen to this podcast. They're going to say, I'm a food junkie. You know, I need help. And they're going to say, well, Tro said, don't do fat. And it's like, no, 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 it's not, you know, I'm not saying that, you know, what I'm saying is well, the low carb diet is absolutely, in my opinion, the place to start, Yes. you know, for years, for years, you know, okay. then you know, you get these people like, and you, and we know it. They come to my clinic. They say, "I'm never going to eat meat," and I don't. I don't push meat on anybody. I didn't eat it for years. And I say, "That's great. That's fine." And they go low carb, and six months later, a year later, they're sending you pictures of bacon and steaks and. So clearly the reward system has shifted, you know, I mean, it, I mean, so they said they would never eat meat in their life and now they're eating meat. And, but yeah, it's, oh, I'm always learning. I, you know, I learned from you. I learned from, you know, Eric Westman and Mark Kukuzela and I learned from, you know, Rob Sybis and I learned from your heart and I learned, you know, I, we learned from each other. That's it.
2: Do you want to tell us, I do want to get your opinion about some of the more standard uh, obesity info, but since we're on the topic of what you did with yourself, so w- what is your approach now? Like, So obviously food is the first thing and low carb is the first place to go. So what do you do with the patient when they come in? Because you have all these tools that I had mentioned in the intro that are like, wow, that's a lot. You know, your app and your... Yeah.
3: So let's see. I You know, I try to think of it like, okay... What would I want if I was alone, struggling, voracious appetite, obese, shamed, guilty? What would I want, right? I would want to have a medical team that is available to me at any point, right? And a a support group to call upon. What else would I want? I'd want to be able to see everything without shame and judgment and discuss it with my medical team. And I would also... Be mindful of the fact that my tendency is to hide from myself and to feel shame and guilt and to withdraw. And so I'd want things and tools to get me out of there, right? I'd want a way to connect, whether it's medically, whether it's socially, whether it's mental health or counseling or whatever it is. So the whole approach has been how do we reach people and make weight loss and managing food relationships ridiculously easy? Right. And how that looks like. I mean, you know, I don't I can talk for hours about this, you know, but but when you come in, you know, when you start with our clinic, we're one try. I mean, there's all the tricks of the trade, which I'm sure, you know, Vera, it's like you want to use every ounce of their energy when they get to the point where they they conquer the shame and guilt and isolation to hit the call, get help now button, they call or whatever. You want to immediately be able to provide them something and waiting to see me a month later, two months later, or one of my partners is just insanity. So asynchronous education is so critical for this because we're going to help you right now. Right. You can get a podcast. You can get the app. You can start. We have modules. You can start right now. Uh, OK, the education. Yeah. You know, and then there's frameworks of stuff. We, we, we're a medical practice. We're going to want to get your medical records. We're going to want to find out more about you. We're going to collect your old labs, get new labs, blah, 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 all this stuff. But then while you're waiting for all the medical stuff, you shouldn't have to wait for the counseling and the coaching, right? So then within a week, we, we're we onboarding you, we're getting you you know, a scale, a blood pressure cuff, a blood sugar meter so that we can just collect data understand what is going on what the water weight the blood sugar fluctuations the heart rate the you know what is going on with you medically and you don't have to use any of them some people don't want to use the scale that's fine some people don't want to use the blood sugar meter that's fine what we really encourage the blood sugar meter because it's such a tool to pinpoint the toxicity of our food environment but also ripping out a lot of my eating is subconscious so how do I become conscious of subconscious things? So it's a great tool to just empower people with data. What has the world done to you? What is your subconscious doing to you? What, you know, like, so, and bring that person the data. So patient empowerment is really the key. So these tools are all about empowerment. You know, can we get you the info now? Can we get you self sort of reflection tools that don't elicit shame and guilt and are more real time? You could do the right thing on a scale for a a month and the scale just spits at you, you know, but you can use blood glucose meters in real time to assess how much the environment is attacking you, how much your own stress is attacking you, your sleeplessness is attacking you, your, you know, you can use it as a great lifestyle feedback tool and then, you know, getting people, vulnerable people, immediate education, an immediate community, come to our meetings. We have a meeting every day. You know, there's a meeting every day, come to a meeting, right? And just, you know, and they're topic-based, so they're rotating and, and you know, we have curriculums, but just connect, right? And then get the coaching, the one-on-one coaching, which is so critical, which is basically unraveling the matrix that's keeping you stuck. And then then the medical side, which, you know, it's just more, there's more red tape to get there, you know? So, you know, you can
2: get pretty quickly some good results with like blood pressure response and insulin response, like if you're eating properly. So I would imagine that getting a pretty quick, even some weight loss
3: will be huge motivators in that first month. Yeah. So I think just not wasting anybody's time, right? So like, how do we make most, so they've, they've committed, they want to, right? Everybody wants to, but they've put, they've overcome whatever obstacle to pick up the phone. And so how are you being a service to that person, right? In that minute, not a month later when it's convenient for you as a doctor, right? In that minute, how are you a service to them? Because, you know, I, like it should be easier. It should be, we, this is an epidemic. <laughs> A mental health and metabolic health epidemic.
2: Are you finding all of these tools are effective and how um, effective,
3: are, are and immensely what are, effective? What yeah, are some yeah. obstacles? Well, let's just well, let's tell just uh,
1: think of uh, first.
3: So yeah, we, I mean we've we've measured the efficacy. We've done you know retrospective chart reviews. So employers hire us to do our program to their employees. Really? And so, yeah, and so we don't. You I see, don't, gotta get that happening in Canada. Yeah, Yeah, we're we're working on it just so you know we're working on it we're working with a big telemedicine company to make that happen in Canada and we'll probably leverage you so we'll definitely leverage you if you're interested so they came to us and I didn't know very like you know people listen to your podcast yeah you know they they like you they already know you they they read your book they read your audiobook like I did you know and or listen to your audiobook and they picked you well what if they don't pick you right right what if they don't pick you and so I didn't know with this company if we were going to have an effect. I know you know you have an effect on the people coming to you. You know, you know it I I if I if when we did our retrospective reviews on our cohorts in our office, we had performed very well, but when the employer came to me, I was like, I don't know. So we initially took on a small pilot program, 15 patients. This is like 2 years ago, and it's now, you know, 200 or 3, I don't know, a lot a lot more people. And I didn't know the effect we'd have. And they said, you know, can you help us? And I said, well, why don't we actually collect data and see that I can, we can help if we can help on a systematic way. You know, these are construction workers, factory line people, yet laptop people, office people. There's a bunch of different people. You're a huge 10,000 person company, but I don't know whether I can affect just a random person who's not selecting me. So we did the program and 15 people and you know, the results were stellar. It was exactly in line with how people did in our in our clinic. And it was completely remote. You know, 38 pounds of weight loss in six months. You know, A1C dropped by 1.1. You know, we use the the percentage. And the blood pressure dropped about 17 points. And this is while deprescribing. Wow. So you, so and we calculated the you know the it was about one and a half medications per patient of deprescription. And like the patients were ecstatic. They raved about it. But what was interesting was the, the cost savings. We were, we didn't cost the company anything. Wow. Right. You know, we actually, they make money on us. <laughs> I think they make money on us. So, so the first thing that they said after the you know, like first six months was how many more can you take?
2: Right. Wow. Because they, yeah. they're not paying for medications anymore. They're not paying for surgery anymore.
3: Correct. Well, I'm, I'm not sure we could quantify all of the hospitalizations that are limited, the doctor's visits, the workdays lost from being healthy. We can't quantify it. We just quantified the deep prescription. Yes. Okay. Right? Let,
2: and let, so, let, me, let me ask you a question. In that work that you did, with the people that did not choose you because they know you, they know your approach. I don't know if you use the dirty word food addiction or or addiction, but in the benign or the the population that doesn't get that concept of addiction, how did you get them to not eat the foods that would make them want to eat more and more and more?
3: Yeah. So again, it comes back to what is a vulnerable population need, empowerment. So empower them. So not using the dirty word, we use the dirty word every day, first visit. Oh, you do? Okay. Every day, first visit. Hey, you know, here's a quick way to screen for an issue with food that has nothing to do with nutrition. You know, that has nothing to do with a nutritional plan that will not benefit from a nutritional plan. Because food addiction will not benefit from a nutritional plan. It benefits from a comprehensive plan. Right, with satiating food that happens to be easier with satiating food, right so so i'm we 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 debate this back and forth. my program director Amy Igus, she gave a talk at the food addiction workshop, and you know she's lost two hundred and twenty pounds and kept it off now for for a similar amount of time, and we debate this about you know using the food addiction word on day one on day, you know, week four, on week eight, week 10. When should we use it? And I'm like, no, I want to screen for it right away. I want to know right away. And when you're dealing with excessive morbidity and people who have yo-yo dieted, right? You know, if you have excessive morbidity, if you're literally suffering because of your eating and you've struggled with it consistently, yo-yo dieted and and you're selecting those people, You know, you you have a 99% addiction rate. So we have become more sophisticated in how we determine, you know, if somebody needs a nutrition only message, which is a lot of people, you know, a lot of people, you know, don't have psychological distress and shame and guilt, and they don't have that, you know, related to food and maybe they're just harmful users and, and a nutrition only message works. And, but for just the most don't realize that pop is, or
2: soda is unhealthy and that eating all that nan bread is not a good idea,
3: but once they get it, they do it. A hundred percent. I mean, I just saw somebody who came to me, 310 pounds, a young guy, really nice guy, high triglycerides. And he's, you know, drinking four or five sodas a day. And I was like, you don't need me. Like I'm expensive. I'm going to take up a lot of your time. Just quit the soda, you know, wear the CGM. So you see what the soda is doing to you quit the soda, switch the, you know, diet for now, come back. And if you need more help, you know, and that comes back, he quits soda. He's like, he lost 15 pounds. I'm like, okay, well, the same thing now, when instead of going to the, when you're going to Chinese for lunch, you know, ask them to put the sauce on the side, ask for two portions of protein and, you know, one portion of the, or two portions of vegetables. And he does that. And he's like, I, you know i'm down 50 pounds in five months you know and i'm like great like so and he's he's not sneaking food like i was he doesn't have intense shame and guilt he's not eating before he goes to a function and then eating at that function too you okay. know so he doesn't have that he's just you know happy-go-lucky and you know doesn't know about it any better
1: Hey guys, Molly here. I just wanted to let you know that Sweet Sobriety is offering a new workshop in April, 2023. You are not what you weigh. Getting over the scale live workshop will be presented to you by Bethany Mazaru. Bethany uses her master of social work to coach you through a recovery plan that works for you. She offers high challenge, accountability, authenticity, and lots of grace on this road to recovery. This workshop is for you if you suspect you might be giving too much weight to your weight, If you have ever allowed the scale to have power over your mood, day, actions, or confidence, if you're tired of giving too much thought or priority to your weight, or if you just want to know more about the BMI, weight and health, weight stigma, weight bias, and what weight loss does to us physically and mentally. Over four pre-recorded video sessions, Bethany dives deep into the research and her own personal story, making this a very practical exploration of the concept of body weight as a measure. The homework after each video is designed to help you get the most out of this workshop. Bethany has also provided a list of resources, books, podcasts, Instagram accounts, meditations, and more to help you explore concepts from the workshop even further. You can also join in weekly live group sessions to share what you're learning and to ask questions. And these sessions are held on Wednesdays, April 5th, 12th, 19th, and 26th at 2 p.m. Eastern or 7 p.m. UK. Sessions will be recorded and replay will be made available to you. Check the show notes for more information.
2: Now, if I can just steer you to the other topic I really want to get to, and that is the traditional obesity approach and what your take is on that. So you kind of diverted or moved away from that, but but you're still working in that world. So what's your take on the medications and the surgical options? Because You're still working in that world. Right and especially today. So I hear you saying now. Look, I'm not going to waste any time when a guy is 400 pounds and he's got high triglycerides. But we're just going to tell him on day one addiction. But in other obesity clinics, they're going to say day one. We don't have time to fool around. Get you on that Ozempic right away. Uh, get you on something right away. So how do you work with that? Those expectations and that basically standard of practice that's emerging.
3: I ask the patient what they want. You know, what do you want? You know, (laughs) it's so simple, you know. Hey, well, look, you have to understand, when I say we tell them what they want, it's not a seven-minute visit where they get, here's your balloon, here's your thing, and here's a diet, right? They're spending half an hour just onboarding with my clinic. Downloading the apps, learning the modules, learning what to do, getting connected with their smart equipment. They have another hour before they ever see me, literally just to go over the you know, obesity trap, like the shame, guilt, you know, calories, discipline, self-blame, powerlessness spiral that most people find themselves in. And once they understand the systems of control, then we start to figure out, do you have food addiction or not? Yes. Right? Okay. So once they understand the basics of sort of the food matrix, so to speak, or the obesity trap, we call it, then now you have an empowered patient. And what they do then, you know, a lot of times I'll wait for the lab work to have that discussion next, which is, so we'll get the lab work and, you know, things may be critical. Like you may have a calcium score of 2000 and A1C of nine and kidney functions that are damaged right? A, a kidney, you know, and so you may not have time, you know, you may not have time because your end organs are suffering to the point of you no know, return, right? Or limited return. Yes. So I think if I have a sign of, you know, severe end organ issue, then, you know, neuropathy, nephropathy, heart, significant heart disease, then I'll be, uh, you know, I'll, set, I'll, I'll may suggest like, hey, what do you, like, most of modern medicine would give you a drug right now and with their eyes closed. What do you want to do? And then you sort of leave it up to the patient. And I'd say our rate of, you know, I've probably referred to bariatric surgery 10 times hmm. you know, in five years. So, and, and it happens. There's people who just put, you know, and, and, it, and it was the right choice. And I have somebody who I'm going to refer now. We've talked about it as a clinic, you know, we've exhausted all of what we can do. I cannot erase being the CEO of three massive companies and having morbid severe obesity and that's, you know, resistant to even drugs. Like I cannot, you know, five kids that are, you know, with some with depression, anxiety, I mean, I can't I can't take these things away. So I think it's just individual. I mean wouldn't you agree? Like Yes, yeah.
2: yes. Yes. Yeah. Well actually I, I yes. I'm not really I was going to say I'm not really in that position where people are coming to me about asking about surgery, but medications for sure. Because now there's so much excitement in the obesity world, the bariatric world, about the new meds that have just come out and how you can lose all sorts of weight, and and even people who aren't obese are wanting to go on these things. Like it's it's just bad news. So. yeah. So, so so what's your take on that? And the fact that, in my mind, it's becoming a standard of practice, which means I now have to defend myself if I don't want to prescribe this stuff first.
3: Yeah, I mean, look, anyway, you're I, I'm going to tell you, no, no, I'm going to be very honest and open here. We see the, the failures. So, you know, this is n- new for the world, but we've been using GLPs here for five years, Right you know, off-label and on-label and very rare, again, maybe 5%, right? Maybe 5%, but-
2: 5% what? That that actually
3: go for it? That actually are using it in my clinic. Yeah. Maybe 5%, maybe 10% of patients. Maybe. That's to be generous, right? Is that because you're so
2: persuasive about your approach to try the Dr. Pro, uh, Tro approach first?
3: I think it's because people who choose me and our messaging is we want to get you off medications if that's what you want. Yes. Okay. You know, so I think some of that has to do with the fact that this is, you know, deep prescription is what we, you know, uh, our area of. So I, I, but at the same time, I mean, they know that, hey, my life goal is to get people off of meds. Mm-hmm. So when I recommend the med, like, you know, it's because I actually think that, you know, we've exhausted all of their options or that it's so, the benefits outweigh the risk to such a high degree that they should think about it, right? But in terms of the standard of care, I mean, look, we have failure. We have people who've failed high-dose TLPs, you know, and it doesn't help. We see them. They come to us. So just for people who don't know what that means, those are
2: the new drugs like Monjero or Ozambique or all of these new things that have just come out. Yeah. Well, they're new in Canada. They're, they're not so new in the States. We're always a couple of years behind you.
3: Yeah. I, well, I think I'll tell you, we've had some great successes. People have been low carb, lost weight, kept it off, and but just had an extra 50 pounds and, and it helped. Had that lost 50 pounds. And so all I can say is I have people who are, uh, you know, also sort of end stage type two diabetes, where they're really just not making enough insulin and I think those people see. I've seen some benefit too in my practice, but for run-of-the-mill sort of weight loss, food addiction, even severe obesity, class three obesity, we rarely use it. Rare. I mean, less than ten percent, I'd say. But,
2: but with the experience that you have, and you have more than than we do, I have, just have some like questions that I would really like to know. Is it possible that you can succeed on it, and then in a year or two develop some kind of tolerance, and so then one hundred percent.
3: We holiday the minute it stops working. We take people off. We titrate it off, and we stop it. At, it, at that work? point, it's all benefit. It's all harm, no benefit. Yes. So we may reattempt it, but I oftentimes I'll ask them to take a holiday and focus on something else right. in that time and focus on some of the other things. We've had several patients come off GLPs, and they've done exceedingly well. We've had other ones who are other patients who, you know, just the hunger comes back and the the lifestyle hasn't changed. And, you know, let's go back to that patient. I'm not taking away his two big CEO positions and his four kids that are still stressful and is just being pulled in every direction and he's last. And, you know, it's like that he doesn't drink and smoke and he doesn't go have affairs and he, you know, needs some sort of outlet and it, you know, I can't change all that.
2: So would it be, like, in terms of, um, I, I know, Christy, you wanted to know, like, if, if there was a place, it was our population where we could use it judiciously, would it be fair to say it's a good bridge for maybe that person that needs that extra little nudge, but that they have to do some kind of Dr. Trow plan or some version of that here in Canada, or else it'll just, they'll just go back to square one when they get off of it, if they develop a tolerance?
3: My fear in so the so I don't fear my patients. I don't fear its use in my patients because we're so connected to them, yes. right? It's different from a conventional practice. So it's it's not the same. I don't fear to my patients. What I fear is people not really ready to change and getting prescribed a drug, yeah, and then it working and then it not work. Right. And so, so
2: inevitably really, that happens,
3: right? A tolerance does develop. A hundred percent. It doesn't work the same. The nausea goes away. Yeah. So the nausea goes away at month six to nine. Okay. okay? And then you're left with whatever, you know, whatever habits you've accumulated in that time and whatever minimal hormonal effect, impact it has over the nausea. So the nausea is probably the main. Fact, in fact, my opinion. Right.
2: So I'm just going to call it out, and uh, be blunt here. So basically how it works for the patient, their experience is I feel too sick to really eat a lot. So I'm not going to eat a lot,
3: but a I can subtle, have a subtle sickness yeah, and a non-concern of food. Yeah. I,
2: yes. But I can have my cake and eat it too, because I can have a little, I don't want much because it's a subtle effect. And eventually that subtle effect will be removed. And because I'm still having my cake, it all comes back. The whole yeah, I think
3: particularly if there's food addiction, I, I've, yes. I've had there's some there's people, I mean, some of the ways people have described it, I'll give you the words that they've used. Yeah. I have a peace with food. This is what normal feels like. You know, uh, I'm nauseous. I'm vomiting. I wish I never took it. So I think get incredibly nauseous days two to day four, and then it wanes. I just don't want to eat. You know, if I eat too much, I, I belch and I burp and it doesn't feel good. Whatever keto is done, I had a doctor tell me this. Whatever keto is done, it gave me five times that. So a doctor who I prescribe it to. So I think, you know, I've seen all sides of it. If it was, I've never taken it. Let's put it that way. You know, I struggle with food addiction, obesity, pre-diabetes, diabetes in my family. And I certainly came from pre-diabetes. I haven't yet taken it. Do I envy their peace that they report for six months? I do. If I was really lost and, and really sick, like... You know, I just had a patient this week, you know, kidney disease, A1C of 9.9, a calcium score of 600, which means there's significant heart disease. So I said, like, look, you don't have time. I mean, we can, and who's been through all the different programs of all of our friends, you know, Rob is Fasting Method, Verda. I mean, this is, it's gone through it all. So in a case like that, I you know I just try to empower them and say, "You tell me what you want to do, but this is what I would do if your family."
0: Right. No, and I think that's really important. I've certainly worked with clients who have been on Ozempic and gone off it because of IVF, but we've already been working together for a long time. Got them food addiction stable, and the weight hasn't come back on. I've also had clients who I've worked with over a year and. They haven't seen the weight release that they were hoping and they have problems with their knees and this potentially could be a beneficial tool in that case to get them to a place where, you know, they can have the surgery they want and just live a better quality of life. And so I really appreciate your take on that 100%.
3: That's a huge one. I, you know, I, I used it in case. So one of the cases I had was exactly that. We talk about organs, but I didn't talk about quality of life you know, incredible knee pain, incredible back pain, rip-roaring diabetes. I mean, if somebody has diabetes and really, you know, morbidity or quality of life issues, then I sort of say that's the ideal person. And to be honest, those are the people who come off the easiest. They don't want to be on medication. They want to be happy and healthy. And other people I've seen do really well. So going back to that employee wellness program, let's say we have a hundred patients, Right. We stopped as many GLPs as we started, right? So we were GLP neutral, meaning we were Ozempic neutral. And the people who did really well, they had diabetes. They just didn't know about low carb. They didn't know about this other way. They had food addiction. They addressed it. They understand it. They know it, right? And, and those people came off GLP fantastic, no problem. And who did we put on? You know, somebody with prediabetes whose kid, who's got a young kid, who's you know, father is ill, just a lot of mental health issues and, you know, getting treatment for that and counseling, but just can't mount the sort of effort despite every ounce, you know, and now that person is down 40 pounds and exercising every day. And, you know, pretty soon we're going to say, you know, let's taper off. And I know the discussion is going to be, don't take this away from me. But so I think, you know, judicious use will be needed. And I think we've we've done that and we showed it to this employer who keeps coming back with more patience for us so we must be doing something good for somebody somewhere great, uh, that's great. i don't we don't want
2: to we've only got so much time left as christy do you want to take it on about the podcast
0: yeah so Tro, tell us a little bit more about the podcast and like you know where do you want to go with it from here do you how have did it, a, how did it yeah how did it start and like where do you hope it goes
3: So we started five years ago when me and Brian were talking with Jason and Megan, from Dr. Jason Fung and Megan Ramos, about sort of being a little bit more vocal. And this was before the era of podcasts. And we we, we still are. We're in the top 10 of medicine pretty, pretty regularly. So we have somewhere around 300 episodes and we continue to remain in the top 10 of medicine. And we have a mix of, of people just like you guys do, you know, food addicts, alcohol addicts, you know, porn addicted. I mean, we've had, you know, people who've, who've couples who've lost weight together, scientists, doctors, you know, every side of the diet spectrum, vegan, you know, Kiko and calories in, calories out. We've had them all on and, you know, amazing people like Nina Teicholz and in her book, Big Fat Surprise, and Gary Taubes and Eric Westman, who Vera works with, and we've had Vera on. I mean, so... Uh, that, was a,
2: that was a bucket list for me.
3: Yeah, we've had uh, we've had all the, the luminaries. And, you know, so it's been, honestly, I'm going to be very... It, it gives... It does two things for me. One, it gives me a way to reach people for free. I'm expensive. I can't see everybody. And so... And I know suffering in the world so and the app there's a lot of parts of the app that are for free and so it for me it's like serves as a marketing tool yes but it's i don't really i mean we don't really do anything i'm not we don't have commercials we don't do any commercials we made a point not to have one commercial so although people have asked us we've taken no money from any commercial entity yeah it, people hear my voice i guess but at this point I don't need it. And why do I do it? Because, you know, we need sort of physician voices out there who aren't captured by the regulatory environment that most doctors are captured in. And people don't understand that. It's very hard. It seems like nebulous. It seems tinfoil hatty, But most doctors don't have time to think critically and they don't have time to think outside of the box. And they, the easiest way out for them is to prescribe a medication. So, how do we educate these doctors? And Vera, that's why I'm so passionate about the SMHP, and that's why I've been passionate about Low Carb MD podcast because it's not just—it's the doctors who are listening and calling me and saying, "Oh my God, thank you!" Right? And and the SMHP—the purpose of the Society of Metabolic Health Practitioners—it started when I went to Doug Reynolds and I said. We need a tribe for doctors, health coaches, mental health counselors, dietitians, and nurse practitioners and PAs so that we can educate them, have a common language, and network. Yes. We need a diabetes curriculum, mental health curriculum, food addiction curriculum, type one curriculum. We need to make these curriculums and we need to standardize them and we need to educate physicians with CMEs. And so the goal of the podcast has been, at this point, I view it as charity. It's fun. And I get to meet awesome people like you too. And it's a way to reach people for free. We don't take a dime from commercials. We've not ever taken a dime from any commercial interests. And the point is to reach, to reach people. You know, and so where it goes, I mean, I don't know, maybe one day we'll get our act together when we just throw stuff on YouTube now. I mean, we're not as you guys are like much more like you guys are much more polished than we are. So whoever you got managing your guys stuff, just call them and tell them we need help. So because we're not as polished as you guys.
2: I don't know, you're pretty polished. I mean, I was pretty thrilled to be uh, a guest on your team. But anyway, do you have a, a dream guest that you had besides me and uh, some of the, the luminaries that you mentioned? Was there somebody that stood out in your mind uh, or somebody that you would really like to get on the podcast?
3: Yeah, I would like to not to not to because I like them because I because I want to disparage them because uh-huh. I want to disparage you know Peter Tia a little bit. I want to disparage. Even Neeson, the world-famous cardiologist, I want to disparage Dayspring, who's, you know, I want to take these people who are so fundamentally entrenched in dogma and tell them what they've missed and what they got wrong. And if you can get, you can add Walensky and Fauci here. (laughs) My God, I'm sorry. All your listeners are going to hate me. But just these, not that these people aren't smart and amazing people. But when you get certain things so fundamentally wrong, you know, or even partially wrong, you know, like we need to be able to get better. The only way we get better as a profession is to admit our shortcomings and mistakes that other people admit their shortcomings and mistakes and improve and don't stay entrenched. And dogma happens when we don't admit mistakes. And so if you ask me what my strongest thing is, I'm dead set on changing medicine. You know, we're in 50 states, all 50 states. We have a presence, myself, we have Dr. Laura Buchanan who's with us. We're gonna have another PA and another doctor who join us this coming year. We have three health coaches, two personal trainers. We have a mental health counselor and that'll grow. And I wanna change medicine. You know, I want big goals. I want to end food addiction and diabetes, like obesity. Right. I want to end them, which
2: means uh, countering the effects of big pharma and big food and their
3: influence on medicine. Correct, and, and it sounds and people hear that and they say big medicine and big food, and it's not conspiracy. And I'm not saying these people are like plotting against you. No. I'm just saying that they probably don't care about you. Not that they can't help you.
2: You the patient, you mean?
3: Yeah, you exactly. You the patient, the person listening to this. You know, like there's some marvelous things in the processed food industry. You know, Quest Brands, for example, I think is an improvement over, the, you know, the conventional. I have no stock in Quest. You know, I have no stock in them, but I, they have helped my patients go from pizza to a, you know, an egg-based pizza. You know, or, and a low-carb-based. Pizza. Like it's not. I don't eat that right? I don't eat that now, but I ate that at one point, right? And I wouldn't have survived without methadone, you know, so to speak, when it came to food. There's some beautiful parts of industry. I don't like, I don't eat lilies. I don't eat lilies now. I don't. They trigger me and I would just eat an entire bag, lilies chocolate, right? But, But they have helped my patients with diabetes address their cravings as they overall improve their diet. So so the thing is, is industry, you know, I'm not against industry. I'm against industry. Big food is like you are your, they want to make you a recurring customer, both pharma and big food, but I'm not against them, you know, but I am against them. (laughs) You know, I'm not against our public health leaders who got nutrition wrong, who got COVID wrong, who got regulatory drug approvals wrong. I'm not against them. I just think we need to erase them and start over. Not against processed food companies. I'd like to erase them and start over. So not against medicine. I want to erase them and start over.
2: So with those big goals in mind, do you feel optimistic about the the future of bariatric medicine or there's still a big slog ahead?
3: Let's put it this way. You know, when you're playing poker and you have like the best hand? Yeah. And you know, you have the best hand and you know, it's going to happen eventually. Right? Okay. So I'm very optimistic. Okay. I'm very optimistic because I think we're holding the best hand. Food addiction and metabolic health, addressing that and it's mental health, addressing these three things. Yeah. If you address people's hunger, cravings, feelings of deprivation, social situations yeah. and emotions, they have no food issue. I totally agree. You got
2: all
0: the angles. And there's, isn't your sweet sobriety an attempt to do the very same thing? Yeah, it sounds like you ha- we have a very similar plan. Yeah. I love that you address that. We have those same modules about stress management, emotional eating, you know, not self-compassion. It's not it's about the food but it's not about the food. The food yeah. is like 10% yeah. it's our life that we're trying to like you know use food to escape from or numb out or soothe with that that is what we need to address and i'm so grateful tro that you have a program that does this in an app where people can access it Immediately, because it's exactly what you said.
3: Let me tell you one thing I wanted with my app? So I thought to myself, going back to the sitting in that waiting room at 13 yeah. years old when I was obese and he told me to lose weight and I sat there for an hour and I said, why couldn't you put a bike in here? I've wanted a binge eating hotline since I started this and we made it in the app. Wow. We made it in the app. You just hit a button and it's a, it's basically a like get help now.
2: Like if you God, if you're, if you're on them. the verge of a binge go to this app
3: yeah go to it. and it's powered by volunteers okay because we told people to text our office or to call our office they didn't because they said they didn't want to bother us so we got no. volunteers we got 40 hotline, but it's a binge hotline i love it right so we and we may have wanted it for so long but nobody called us huh. because they said they didn't want to bother us oh yeah Right. They didn't want to buy. So you know what? We have a volunteer sponsored get help now area. You just go in and you get help now. Right. And completely free, completely free. So you just so and it's just simple things like this. Like, why can't we have a treadmill in the gym or a bike in the gym? Why can't we have a get help now like feature? Why can't we get, you know, near real time? Why do I have to suffer for weeks on end with shame and guilt? I want a team that understands me and can help me a day later. A minute later, you know, in real time. Because, you know, Vera, our jobs would be replaced if the medical team could meet the patient in their time of need. Yes. If we could get medical and psychological, metabolic care to a patient the minute they needed it, we wouldn't, the obesity epidemic is solved. So, how do we do that? We're all the way out here, but our medical approach has to get to somebody like in an instant. And we need to think radically different. Yes. I'm a big, I'm a big, sorry, you got me. I know you were like looking end and then here I am yapping. You probably,
0: no, it's, I love how fired up and passionate yeah. you are about this yeah. because it really like lights up that same fire and passion in us. And I think certainly in Vera's Facebook group, you know, she has 20,000 people and like responds to most of them when they post something like, I'm struggling. It's like, okay, what about this? What about this? And that is exactly what you said, meeting people where we're at. And that is, is the care that is required with food when we're surrounded by it 24 seven and stress and emotions and the whole package of everything. So Tro, can you tell us what is next for you? For you,
3: Uh, for me,
0: other than changing the world.
3: Yeah, (laughs) no, I mean, that's it. So I'm working on research projects now. We have a big research project with Stanford that's going to be a bombshell when it comes out. I have, we're hiring doctors and mental health counselors and nurse practitioners and PAs. We want to make care in the United, you know, basically entire United States, great metabolic care, basically at your fingertips. And then we're working with a big company in Canada. Hopefully that'll go somewhere. We have a lot of things, you know, where I'm on the board for the Society of Mental Biotic Health Practitioners, you know, I'm talking at Denver and medical conferences, another one in Puerto Rico. I mean, I'm just trying to, you know, and trying to enjoy my family. And, you know, I got three beautiful kids and a wife. My wife is a food addict's nightmare. So just be, you know, my wife owns a company that makes low-carb baking mixes. So they make low-carb baking mixes and, don't consider her food safe. In my opinion, I consider it safe. It's better than Betty Cracker and whatever's out there. And look, she's done an amazing service to my patients, you know, because now they have an easy way to cook stuff. And, you know, I just, that's it. We're like, I'm just trying to put my head down, not get in trouble.
0: Awesome. And you know what? We certainly work with clients where the harm reduction approach is best and does feel manageable for them, lets them start this journey or supports them when things get too hard and I don't have time to make everything from scratch all the time in this busy world we live in. And so yeah, I absolutely appreciate those products as well. So we do have a signature question and it is if you could tell a younger version of Tro something about obesity or food addiction, what would it be? That
2: 13-year-old poor guy sitting in the doctor's office.
3: <laughs> Man, you really hit me. I'd probably say two things you need to know are never give up. And then every time you feel shame and guilt, you know, it really means you need help. You need to figure something out. You need to, you know, there's something to learn. And so I think those would be the, uh, those would be the two things.
0: Mm. Thank you so much, Tro. So powerful, your message. And thank you for being here today.
3: Thanks for having me.
0: And with your passion. It's wonderful.
3: I'm trying. Yeah, gets me in trouble though.
0: Thanks for joining us this week on Food Junkies, Recovery from Food Addiction. Make sure to join our Facebook group, Sugar Free for Life support group. I'm sweet enough. You can subscribe to our show in iTunes or Stitchers. That way you'll never miss an episode. While you're at it, if you found value in this show, we'd appreciate a rating on iTunes. Or if you'd simply tell a friend about the show, that would help us out too. Don't forget to pick up your copy of Dr. Tarman's book, Food Junkies, which is available on Amazon. If you have any additional questions, both Molly and Clarissa are food addiction professionals and work one-on-one with clients. You can find their websites and email addresses in the show notes. Be sure to tune in every Friday when our new episodes drop. As Vera loves to say, the power is ours.